Hello everyone, welcome to Reservations. We are your hosts, I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm the other guy. Uh, welcome back. Um, <laughs> welcome back, Reservers. Reservers? Yeah. Okay. You think we should start <laughs> doing a following? <laughs> Hashtag reserve. Reservers. Reservers. Dude, my wife would kill us. Oh, come on. Just because it's so stupid. It is stupid, but you know what? <laughs> you came up with a name. Eh, uh, no. You know, it's not as good as, like, Cumberbitches. <laughs> Cumberbitches? Yeah, well, the, the fans have been at a Cumberbatch, but it's something, uh, you know? And my name's Jeremy Blair. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey, all right, everyone. So, as, uh, you know, the, the three people that listen know that this is the final episode of our 80s month, which I'm sure Jeremy is very happy that I, we are. I am very happy this is it. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, feel like I have not done my best at these things. I feel like, you know, I'm bad with the generic stuff, but next we'll go back to the nitty gritty. Well, and I feel like uh, when we started on our whole we're just going to go into deep cuts of specific movies, Yeah, that really kind of got us in a groove of getting out of the whole like broad spectrum of movies that we're going to talk about and yeah. now that we went back to the old format just for like a second it, we're kind of like all over the place yeah I'm like I don't know what to do like that's why <laughs> it's with, harder to take notes now I know that's why with episode two I was like almost word for word saying the plot of the movie because that's what we were used to which what I knew your mom hated yeah she really does. And you know what? Not crazy about it either, if I'm being honest. Well, <laughs> well that's fine. That's why with episode three, I try to stick to just little summaries and then talking about the movie. And we're what? Episode six or seven or this ten? This is four. Or four, right. <laughs> yeah. Four or four. Four out of four. So, um, if you haven't listened uh, to the other three episodes, this yeah. has been kind of like a, just a deep dive into the 80s film as a whole. Um, each week we talked about a specific genre. Week one was drama. Week two was teen comedy slash comedy, you know, just comedy in general. And then uh, last week was blockbusters, which I I really feel like we had a little bit more to say about blockbusters than we did comedy and drama. Yeah, we did. We did pretty good. Yeah, the- I would say. I would say out of the. I mean, I don't know how this episode is going to go. We'll see. Um, but out of the the three already, I would say Blockbusters is probably the best one of yeah. the series. <laughs> That's yeah, the- we finally <laughs> we we finally remembered how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then do the we're broad like, spectrum. yeah, we, we remembered how we got it, we dialed it in, and now it's over. So, <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so like Jeremy said, after this week, we're going to go back to the more. Uh, kind of deep dive into a specific movie uh, at the end of the episode stick around we're gonna announce our we'll tease it a teaser and some uh, new stuff coming along uh, but right now is about kind of like a just kind of like a retrospective of everything we've talked about this month and just the 80s film kind of culture uh, as a whole you know because like I mentioned to you uh, the other day, you know, I definitely feel like 80s, 80s films, you know, I mean, most people say that, um, you know, things that are created are, you know, created for their time. But mm-hmm. I would say 80s movies, especially that's, you know, you, 
it's really hard to remake an 80s movie, which people have tried. Yeah, I think it, you know, it's that old adage that you had to be there. Yeah. You know, and... When it's definitely a product of that time. So remaking an 80s film is tough. Because you had to be there. Yeah, and as we, you know, like we talked about with Ghostbusters... You know, it wasn't necessarily a remake as it was like a reimagining, mm-hmm. but it was it was still Ghostbusters. And it just, you know, as I mentioned, all the hate that came with it wasn't even about the movie itself. It was about the fact that they had four females in lead roles. But that's yeah. besides the point. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a whole other can of worms. But um, looking at it from a movie standpoint, you can't remake Ghostbusters. You just can't. No. It shouldn't. Um, Shouldn't be touched. Yeah, and so what I what I've done here in my notes that I wrote while I was sitting here um, is I wanted to give the audience an idea. The audience that's that's very flattering. Well, I mean, and we got uh, Joel Schumacher listening. That's true. So you Joel, know. I wanted to give you an idea, <laughs> so I'm, you don't have to Google it. Uh, the top movies. Monetarily wise, um, you know, these are the films that made the most money. Right. Um, in the 1980s. Uh, the highest grossing film of the 1980s is one we didn't even talk about. And it's E.T. Yeah. I'm shocked that we didn't talk about that. Because I, I don't love care. that movie. I don't like that movie. <sighs> see, let's but, but see. Okay. So when I saw it, <laughs> it was in daycare. I remember this. It was in village school daycare. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people weren't there. It must have been like a holiday or something. It was like me and like one other person, two other people um, were there. Do you remember how old you were and why you were in daycare? I must have been like, I don't know, seven or eight. Okay. But just so I have an understanding. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I was pretty young, I guess. Seven or eight, maybe, you know, sentient, right? So, I mean, I... So, this is something you would actually remember. Yeah, this is something I remember. And they plopped us in front of a television. They put on E.T., and I was bored out of my mind. Maybe if I watch it today, I'd like it. I don't know. That's a great movie. Um, but it just put a bad taste in my mouth for, for E.T. Um, for years. <laughs> I mean, up until now. I mean... We're, we're 20 years later, and I'm just like, ugh. It's it's a it's a really good it's a good watch and the only thing and I'm pretty sure it's impossible to find to find the original cut because Stephen pulled a uh, George Lucas <sighs> so uh, I'm sure as you know Jeremy the original cut of Star Wars mm-hmm. it's really hard to find the original cut of Star Wars from what I understand yes it is very hard. Because George decided in the early 90s when computer animation was becoming a big thing, um, George wanted to make Star Wars the way he had always envisioned it. So he recut it, added in the CGI, and for whatever reason, Steven Spielberg decided, hey, I want to do that too, to (laughs) E.T. Yeah. Because... There are a few scenes in the original cut of E.T. that, yeah, you can blatantly tell he's a puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my opinion, that uh, adds to the charm of E.T. It's a – you can tell – I mean, and I heard Rob Zombie talk about this on Joe Rogan's podcast. Shout out to Joe. I know he's listening. Now listen. Um, and, and blazing it, man. Yeah, dude. So, like, 
he was saying, Rob Zombie was saying that, especially in horror films, but it doesn't exclude E.T., that an actual three-dimensional figure mm-hmm. in the space makes a huge difference. Right. So, I mean, it's... And he was comparing it to, like, you know, Thanos or oh, the little... Yeah. The, the orange thing in the new Star Wars movies that Lupita Nyong'o plays. Um, oh, um, these, Maz Kanata? These... these Things are full CG almost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like actors weren't trained to act at nothing. Well, and I think we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but yeah, you know, I think that's why, you know, for Thanos at least, Josh Brolin was on set. Right. You know, with a backpack and a stick mm-hmm. so people could see where Thanos' eye line would be. Still. But yeah, you know. I think for me, I mean, I'm not a trained actor, but for me at least, you know, if I'm supposed to be looking at you for the scene, but you're actually, you know, f- four feet taller than me, I, my eyes are trained to look at you, right? Not up, and uh, I mean, but yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. So what were you we talking mean, about again? Well, because you know, he wants to Steven Spielberg. What he did was he added a CG ET. Ugh, I did not like how that sentence panned out. Um, well, he, he only did it for certain scenes. It's still. You but know, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Because, I mean, the magic of film is being able to manipulate, you know, frames of celluloid to make it seem like this thing is real and actually happening. And, you know, the CG... I don't know. I don't think you should go back and fix things. It's like, I don't remember when this was. It was when uh, Jimmy Stewart was still alive because uh, someone had bought the archive of like MGM. Uh And what he wanted to do was he wanted to take these films, put them in color and re-release them. Oh, no. I know. Exactly. So that is what... That's the equivalent of what George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are doing to their films. They're basically taking black and white movies, giving color to them, and re-releasing them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, see, luckily, as far as I know, Steven's only done it to E.T., which, again, since I have such a love for E.T., I understand why Steven did it. You know, this was a chance to give E.T. a little bit more life than a puppet could give him. You know, you know, the one of the main reasons why George did it for Star Wars was, you know, to add in little scenes like, you know, um, in A New Hope, he animated the uh, fighters and the X-Wings, like the little heads moving, because, you know, with the, the the miniatures that they made, there's just a little dude in there to give it a little bit more, you know, realism, I guess. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like I was saying, you know, since I have such a love for E.T., I don't think Steven should have done it. I think that's was a mistake on his part. And, you know, that's saying something because Steven Spielberg is, like, the man and has made so many good movies. Now, now I hope he never does it to Jaws, though. No. But <laughs> we're still not technically off the, the topic of conversation because numbers two and three are Star Wars, <laughs> Return of the Jedi, and Empire Strikes Back in that order of gross. Really? Uh, uh, box office gross. That very much upsets me. That return beat Empire? Yeah, okay. I know you love Empire. (laughs) I get it. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I love Empire. 
I think I've stated that enough on the podcast. Um, it's such a good movie. It is. It is. Uh, what Ivan Kirshner did was just yeah, uh, so good. Now I'm not saying that Return of the Jedi is a bad movie, but it's kind of like the um, it's kind of like the situation of like like when a when a band makes an album that's so good. How do they follow up with it? And then, you know, usually nine times out of ten, it's kind of a letdown. Unless apparently you're tool and now, you take 13 years to make an album. Now, here's the, now I have a great um, analogy for you, mm-hmm. just for this purpose. Uh, and shout out to my boy, Andrew Goh, um, who I work with at, uh, at the college. Uh-huh. Um, he and I love Radiohead. All right? Okay. Now... When they came out with Pablo Honey, which is their first album, uh-huh. it was amazing. People loved it, right? No way could they top it. But they did with their second one, The Bends, right? Okay. And then after that, they're like, okay, great. They can't top that either. Well, guess what? They did with OK Computer. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's like <laughs> they did it three times. You know what I mean? And, I mean, they're still obviously uber popular to this day. And, you oh, know, yeah. like Tom York is, you know, considered to be one of the best songwriters <clears throat> of all time. But anyway. Um, and you can also argue with just two instead of three this time with Batman Begins and The Dark Knight as well. Mm-hmm. Right? But continue. But, yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it, it just – it wasn't necessarily like a letdown. Like, I know a lot of people weren't that happy with Return of the Jedi. Um, but I mean, it's still a very, you know, for a diehard Star Wars fan, it's still a great addition to the story. Um, my thing is, I think, I think the reason why a lot of people are, and maybe me myself, are iffy about it is because they kind of kidified it a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. I love the Ewoks, but like, did we really, really need the Ewoks? Do you think now this is coming from someone who has an Ewok poster in their bathroom, but that's not the point. That is a re-released <laughs> 90s Return of the Jedi poster that I've had for 26 years. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, um, do you would you say that they were trying to be toyrific? Oh god no. Uh, with Return I of the mean, Jedi. I mean a part Shout of me would Joel. believe it because I just rewatched a two and a half hour documentary of how George Lucas came up with Star Wars, how he got it made, mm. and that kind of thing. And you know, I mean, it's this is common knowledge that George Lucas had the foresight, foresight, foresight to acquire merchandising rights. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. he he wanted to make sure that because George hated. Uh, Big studios hated it. Like he, he he hated the whole thing. He'd rather be an independent filmmaker. Um, but you know, you can't make your movie without a big budget studio. Mm-hmm. Well, during that time, now you know now there's slews of independent companies that you can partner with. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and uh, and he didn't want to get hoed on a deal, so he was like, <laughs> "I want merchandising rights." And one could say that that changed the game. Mm-hmm. Because no one heard of a creator getting his own merchandising rights and doing what he wanted. So, I mean, a part of me would believe it that, you know, George wanted to sell toys, you know, to really promote Return of the Jedi so he could sell little Ewok toys. I mean, I know there were. Um, 
But I don't think that was done for the sole purpose oh, to make well, toys. Just want to make sure. So. Um, but no, yeah. I mean, it's just it's upsetting for me just because I love Empire Strikes Back. It is. Mm. I've said it before. I'll say it again. It is the best of the original trilogy Star Wars movies, and quite frankly, the best Star Wars movie. I was about to ask ever, but. You know, that's just my opinion. I've had people like, you're wrong. It was everyone. Shit you not. Actually, everyone tells me it's Return of the Jedi. Really? Yeah, 100%. Like, um, love him to death. My friend Brandon, uh, he was like, no, dude, it's Return of the Jedi. And I'm like. What is their argument? I think it's because Return of the Jedi ends on a very optimistic note. It can't be Boba Fett because he was in Empire. Oh, and he dies in the first 20 minutes. And I think that's my problem with the movie, is that the movie feels so short. Because the other movies were so long and so, like, well-grounded. Mm-hmm. But the first half of Return of the Jedi is on Tatooine trying to save Han and Chewie mm-hmm. um, from Jabba the Hutt. And then the last, what felt like 30 minutes was, okay, now we got to blow up the second Death Star. Mm-hmm. That was just my opinion. Okay. Um <laughs> but, anyway, I don't want to get off on a Star Wars tangent because yeah, I mean, yeah, Lord yeah. knows our our listeners, the listener or whatever. Uh, well, we have Joel Schumacher. Yeah, so okay. Anyway, so um, but yeah. Anyway, so that was the top three. Okay. Okay. Now the top three we didn't mention on this podcast. No. However, the bottom three we have. Okay. Uh, for this. Um, now, what, what is this on a, a scale from like one to a hundred or like? Oh, I don't know. I just did the I just did the top six. <laughs> top six. Okay. These are the top six in the nineteen eighties. Okay. Um, obviously, this would be different if I did it by year, but I just did the whole decade. Okay. So anyway, uh, number four, Batman. Really? Yeah. That's so crazy, especially you know, with what we were saying last week about how. It changed the game for comic book movies. That, and it changed the game for marketing. Mm -hmm. Like I said uh, last week, I mean, it was like he put up billboards and things a year ahead of time. Yeah. Just with the bat symbol. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. I don't even think it said anything. I think it was just the bat. It didn't even say, you know, coming in 89. Like, it was just bat symbol. Speaking of which, uh, apparently today is Bat Day. Uh, Batman has been around for 80 years. Wow. It's also uh, Stephen King's birthday today. Ah. By the way, we're recording this on the 21st of September. Is also my cousin Jeff's birthday. So Nice. Happy birthday. Uh, but yeah, so that's so crazy. I mean, I could kind of see how E.T. and Star Wars beat out Batman. Mm-hmm. E.T. has a broader audience, right? So yeah. obviously that one is going to be more monetarily successful because it reaches families. Yeah, family. Not just one person in the family. Yeah, and it's a melding of, you know, mystery and science fiction and, you know, young Drew Barrymore. Suspense. Suspense, Because right? they're oh, trying absolutely. to hide the alien from the government. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so what's number five? Number five. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, you gotta be shitting me. <laughs> Which is funny because we just George Lucas and Spielberg Spielberg coming together yeah. to make them to well George produced this. Mm-hmm. Sidebar. Sorry, I had to tell you this. Did you know uh, the movie American Graffiti, uh, George Lucas's second theatrical release before he did Star Wars, mm-hmm. was made on a dare. <laughs> 
Francis Ford Coppola dared him because you know they all went to school together. Well, they they all made films at the same time, and so it was. I watched a, a Brian De Palma. Mm, oh yeah, I love Brian De Palma. Anyway, uh, I watched his documentary, and it was De Palma. It was Coppola. It was Scorsese. It was Spielberg. It was Lucas. Lucas. Well, they all went to school together too. I wasn't aware of that. Anyway, I just knew that they all came up in the in the business at the same time, and mm-hmm. so they all hung out. They all knew each other. They all gave each other, you know, ideas and support or whatever. Well, and you know, Francis made his own production company, which George was under, to do THX eleven thirty eight, which flopped. And then George was like, okay, I'm going to make my own production company. Yeah. Which, that's how we got Lucasfilm mm-hmm. uh, Limited. Uh, but anyway, so Francis Ford Coppola dared him. Like, there's no way you could make a feel-good comedy. And George was like, okay. And that became American Graffiti, American which made Graffiti. a bunch of money. Yeah. And uh, helped Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a little, little fun fact. So, yeah, so Raiders God. was number five. All right, so what? So what's the last one? Tell me the last one. Number six. Would you like to guess? Okay. If okay, you said the last three we've talked about. So right. Batman Raiders uh, is it going to be Ghostbusters? It is Ghostbusters. <laughs> Good job. Oh it is Ghostbusters. God. Is wow. uh, number six. Wow, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Because you know, Ghost. I mean, all these movies were so huge for their time. Yeah. In the eighties, and it. I mean, again, I could see how E.T. beat everything out because it does, as you said, have a broader audience and demographic grab. Mm-hmm. And and definitely Raiders, Raiders, Ghostbusters, and Batman definitely were geared a little bit more towards the, not necessarily adult audience, but more along the lines of like teenagers to adults. Now, let's... Let's dig a little deeper. So, with with all six of these films, mm-hmm. you notice that they are gigantic movies. Oh, absolutely! With you know really big ideas and big productions and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is the uh, decade of excess, right? This yep. is the yep. the decade of yuppies, right? Big big hair, big shoulders. Because big what nukes. we don't get in the top six are dramas. Yeah. Nothing we talked about in our drama episode is in this list. Right? Or even comedy episode. Well, I mean Well, I'm sure Ghostbusters would have been if we yeah. had right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah, that I mean, yeah, because you know, in, in the eighties, you know, it was all about having the biggest hair and yeah. you know, we had shoulder pads, women wearing shoulder pads, so their shoulders would stretch out, you know, two more inches. Shout out to working girl. <laughs> anyway. Uh, um but yeah, that is crazy that you know these really big budget movies um, and big. Number seven was Beverly Hills Cop, by the way. Oh, so Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. very nice. Um, but yeah, I mean that that is kind of crazy that these that you know the dramas that are also just as popular in the eighties weren't in this top six of the the entire decade. Mm-hmm. And I I chose the top five. For myself, of the movies we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, neither of them, none of them, are on the top movies list really? of the decade. No, um, I would put number one is "Do the Right Thing." Okay. Um, number two, Blade Runner. Okay. Number three, 
The Thing. Okay. Number four, Better Off Dead. And number five, Airplane. <laughs> and I'm not going to even do that because I don't remember half the movies I talked about. So. Wow. This is why I have a notebook with things I wrote down. <laughs> but, I mean, that is that – is, I think that I think that's – again, you know, these movies were a product of the 80s because, you know, all these movies that we talked about over this month, you know, you know – after after we did the episode, I even looked up the movies you talked about, a few of the ones that I didn't know, like Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was commercially successful. Mm-hmm. But in a time where, you know, following kind of Barney Stinson's, Barney Stinson's rule of, well, it's better, newer is always better. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go switch it to bigger is always better. You know, these big movies yeah. that are commercially way more successful. Yeah. You know. Because they, I mean, in Do the Right Thing, it, it built a world for you, but it's just a street, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, it's familiar, right? right? And, you know, of course it's Brooklyn because it's Spike Lee, and Spike Lee loves Brooklyn more than anything else. And it's, you know, it's not... I guess it is – I'm trying to say it's world building, but it's not big world building. It's small world building and it's it's intimate and it's also tackling these gigantic ideas like racism, modern mm. day racism. Right. Right? And yeah. so, I mean – so it has a small film feel, a very intimate feel, but tackling giant issues. And mm-hmm. so it, it does the opposite sort of of these other films. Yeah, like, you know, with Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, you have, you know, all these locations that these characters visit, you know, Saudi Arabia and um, I just watched it the other day. The Did you rewatch it when you said you were going to? Yeah, I didn't finish it, but no, I, I started. <laughs> yeah. I got to the part of the part we were talking about of Harrison Ford being so sick that he was like, well, oh, you're just going to shoot the guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then that's where I stopped. But, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, the other locations, but, but still, you know, you know, because Spielberg and Lucas were building a story that was broad in the sense of we're going to take these characters virtually all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, which you know, definitely I would say grabs an audience. Like, oh no, now they're in now they're in Cairo. Yeah, oh, they were in Cairo, not Saudi Arabia. <laughs> I don't know why I thought Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Cairo. The sword, maybe. Yeah, well, and, yeah, and how mm-hmm. some of the villains dress, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it you is. Know, and with Blade Runner, Blade yeah, Runner is gigantic. Would, and I seen. I thought Blade Runner would have made it on that list. Right. Well, I mean, Blade Runner is gigantic, and this is the definition of world building. Oh, absolutely. Right? But it, it's again, it didn't. It didn't invent neo noir because we've had neo noir before, especially with like Chinatown. Oh, yeah. Right, which is 74. Um, But this one kind of took that film noir style, mixed it with science fiction, mixed it with mystery, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know. It was was a down-to-earth science fiction film, which is really weird because... Well, well, yeah, you know, and, you know, because, you know, like with Star Wars science fiction, it's, well, George would probably... 
if George Lucas knew me personally, he'd probably kill me because he doesn't refer to a science fiction. It's science fiction. It's it's, it's space opera. Yeah. But it's science fiction, you know. But you know those they're you know they're going to other worlds, and you know there's majority of the fights are in space. Mm-hmm. Which sidebar, I'd like to point out, you can't hear explosions or blasts in space. No, you cannot. I had that realization when I was doing my uh, rewatch of all the movies, and I got for the for the audience um, <laughs> and for me to make fun of you later. When was this realization? Um, I mean, definitely before we started the podcast. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> it's not great, but it wasn't like Tuesday. So, I mean, we're yeah. good. You know, so <laughs> I was doing my rewatch and I was watching, I, I so, you know, I, I watch Star Wars, uh, you know, in chronological order, which, mm-hmm. you know, to a, you know, hardcore Star Wars fan, it's not the right order. You go New Hope, and then you. Anyway, so I get to Revenge of the Sith, and you know there's a huge, massive like space battle mm-hmm. happening, and you know you're you know all the blasts are coming through and explosions, and it finally hits me. I'm like, you can't hear this stuff. Like, yeah. Why? Like. Oh. I Stanley mean, Kubrick reminded a lot of people you can't hear anything in space. Yeah. Um. It's. And his whole point in 2001 – oh, my God, we should do 2001. Anyway, uh, <laughs> is just the the time it takes to do things and the, you know, the painfully slow, you know, aspect of being in space. It's absolutely brilliant. And that's where we get the <sighs> – in the, in the soundtrack um, mm-hmm. because that's all you can hear in your spacesuit. Yeah. Is your breathing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely bright. So anyway, no, you can't hear things in space. Um which is why Interstellar is so brilliant, which is why gravity is so brilliant, uh, because they do take that into account. Right. That you can't hear anything in space. And what were we talking about before I <laughs> Well, I mean, we were talking I mean, you of course put in Star Wars with the uh, with the Blade Runner discussion. That's oh, all that's right, right. Because you're saying that was a down to earth science fiction. It just felt lived in, like I'd mentioned, well, yeah. and you know, uh it's gritty, it's dirty, it's not slick, it's not stainless steel. Yeah, it's not um what did what movie did I just watch recently that takes place in the future? Like um Ghost in the Shell. Which I know you've never seen. I have not seen. No. And thank you for knowing I've never seen. (laughs) Oh, and I'm sure if we... Either version. I haven't seen it yet. Well, if we have any listeners in Japan, I'm sure they're done listening now. Because they hate the the real-life version of Ghost in the Shell. Oh, do they? And I don't blame them. I mean, it's a good movie, but... I mean, it's a tangent. Yeah, welcome back to Podcast of Tangents. (laughs) Um... It's hard to make, like, you know, everyone says it's very hard to make a good video game movie, which is true, but it's virtually impossible to take an anime and turn it into real life. Unless, of course, you're a Japanese filmmaker in Japan because they know how to do it properly, as where, as, you know, Americans kind of Americanize it. I would say you could if you rotoscoped it. What's that? Uh, rotoscoping is the art, and I cannot believe. I, I hope 
you're doing this for the audience sake because we just talked about it. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I remember. We were talking about this earlier um, off mic, of course, but um, it is if anyone has ever seen Waking Life or A Scanner Darkly or the new Amazon Prime original series Undone, which now sponsored is sponsored by Amazon Prime. Uh, I wish because that <laughs> show is so good. I watched all of it last night and it's brilliant. Anyway, it is the art of. Filming something in live action, going back and individually um, animating over the cell. So animating over everything individually. Which That's got to be a pain if, in the ass. If you watch Waking Life, it gives you a headache because he had to literally animate over every cell. I mean, it, it takes forever. And um, <laughs> even digitally, it takes forever because you have to do it by hand. Yeah. Um well, yeah, but I mean, anyway, so... You can uh, rotoscope it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I brought up Ghost in the Shell because in that, you know, the future is very, like, kind of what you're saying. It's very slick. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's dirty because it's, you know, there's still, like, garbage truck drivers. But, you know, like, the cars they drive are very, you know, kind of stretched out and very slick. And even in 2001, I mean, mm-hmm. I just mentioned how brilliant it was, and it is, but... um like in just the waiting room where the businessman has his briefcase and he's waiting. I mean, everything is slick and clean and, mm. you know. Yeah. And I, and I definitely like that about Blade Runner is that it, yeah, it was in the future, but, you know, it was kind of like a mirror of the time. You yeah. Know, it was dirty. It was, mm. it wasn't pristine. Yeah. You know, it, may, it may have been at one point, but not anymore. Right. You know. Yep. So anyway, Blade Runner. Um, <laughs> and of course, The Thing, which, I mean, brought body horror to science fiction, to suspense, to horror, and combined it all together. And I mean, I didn't mention this last time, but I was thinking about it the other day, and because I love this movie very, very much. Right. And this there's a scene where they're going to defibrillate someone right mm-hmm. they're going to use the paddles and, and the stomach opens as if it were a mouthful of teeth and it rips the guy's arms off anyway uh, the stomach ripping open and tearing off that guy's arms is an homage or reminiscent of John Hurt's scene in Alien, Alien. where the alien pops out of his stomach right ah. it, it's like the <laughs> Both of them shocking and gross, right? Yeah. In their own little special way because nothing's popping out of the stomach. It's the opposite. He's about to put something in the stomach. He's going to eat that guard's arms, right? Yeah. And I think it was Wilford Brimley, Dr. Blair. <laughs> Rest in peace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but anyway, I love the thing so much. I was just talking to Dad about it today. Uh, I was hanging out at his house, and um, I was like, hey, I mentioned on the podcast the other day. He goes, oh, what for? And I was like, oh, we were talking about the thing. He goes, oh, my God, I love that thing. And I was like, I know. It's so good. Um, so, you know, so definitely, I mean, you know, I'm hoping we're making it apparent to everyone listening that, you know, the 80s film is – I mean, like, you can tell that there was a shift. And I feel like I mentioned it when we talked about something. I can't remember what. Um, But you tell there's a shift when you go from 89 to 90. Mm -hmm. It's almost like film took, like, this dramatic shift. And you can tell 
and if, and again, I feel like I compare this to like 60s and 70s movies, but um, you can tell the difference between a 1980s film of any year and 1990s film of any year. Because, like, if you took a comedy from, like, if you took, if you took um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I'm not really quoting, I don't know what I'm doing, clawing. <laughs> You're using crab hands. Um, I'm trying to use two comedies to kind of compare. Yeah. But, like, if you took Ferris Bueller's Day Off and then, like, The Big Lebowski, mm-hmm. you can obviously tell. Love The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah, so do I. We could do a, literally three whole episodes about the Big Lebowski. I don't, I, I don't know if I could, but I mean, I could definitely do one. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, but you could tell that there is this this shift in how film changed mm-hmm. from the eighties to the nineties. Now, I will to bring up another Coen Brothers film. I don't really agree with your police work there, Lou, because. Um, <laughs> And this is just a stupid, nitpicky bullshit thing that I'm going to bring up anyway that would, if someone had said it to me, it would piss me off. I'd be like, you know what? You're a nerd, you know? But I'm going to be that nerd for the moment. Rain, let's count to 10. You ready? Okay. All right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. All right? Okay. We did not start with zero, correct? Correct. Therefore, a decade in this instance would be 1981 to 1990. Ah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, okay. So the when people were really excited about Y2K, right, the new millennium, mm-hmm. technically it was still the 90s because <laughs> we don't begin things with zero. We begin things with one. Right. Right? It, again, stupid, nitpicky, <laughs> nerd bullshit. But... <laughs> Still. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. So, uh, that being said, like, Airplane, technically, it's a 70s movie. Really? Yeah. It's a 1980, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's stupid. <laughs> but I but, had to bring it up. But anyway, but the point I was making is I, that... I know what you're doing. Yeah. But, but would you agree that there was definitely this shift in film from the 80s to the 90s? Yeah, because there was with the 70s and the 80s, you know? Well, and it's... You know, and I think it kind of harkens back to the noir episode when we were talking about how, you know, like noir was definitely, you know, product of its time. Yeah. You know, to kind of, you know, to, to use a lack of a better term, like hold a mirror up to what was going on in America in the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. You know, the same could be said about films made of a specific decade, you know, mm-hmm. that it's kind of what's happening in the world the fact today, that we even put these in in 10 year categories is sort of arbitrary too because i mean you know we could say the same thing if we split that in half and did like 80 to 85 and 85 to to 90 i mean it, who cares yeah right it's we want to categorize things right mm-hmm. like cnn loves to do this because they, they have series <laughs> on it all the time yeah you know the the specific decades and the and the challenges that they face and what made it different and what changed and blah 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 but we have these sort of you know the sort of saturating times cool art word by the way <laughs> Um, where we have like this this sort of like if the timeline were like a 
color scheme or the the Roy G. Biv. Yeah. Right? Uh, we have to acknowledge the colors in between. Mm-hmm. So by that, what I mean is like purple going into blue, we need to, you know, it doesn't go straight from purple to blue. There's like a magenta in there somewhere. Right. Right? That is sort of a mix between the two, which is, you know, what like 89 and 90 would be or would be like 79 through 81 or, you know what I mean? Because the shift isn't immediate. It has to, you know, it has to fade in. Right. And fade out at the same time. Right. Yeah, I would definitely say, you know... You know, it's kind of funny that you used from 1980 to 1985 as the first example, because definitely those movies that released in that time frame, that five year time frame, were, I would say, definitely a lot different from the last five years of the 80s, from mm-hmm. 86 to 90. You know, though it seemed like those movies from 86 to 90 were, I wouldn't necessarily say darker, but almost like they were getting a little bit more cynical mm-hmm. kind of then what became 90s film very well, cynical very and let's let's use a, a stereotype of the 1980s uh, cocaine yeah let's uh, say the beginning it's, of the 1980s it's cocaine you just did a bump right <laughs> and you're riding way high but from 19 once you get to 1984 to 1985 that high starts to diminish and you start to come down right and i think you know with the excess and the drug culture and you know the the height of the economic boom of the 1980s started to shift down mm-hmm. and i think there you could argue that you know with the you know, lighthearted and, you know, um, big budget ideas of the 1980s started to slowly go down and get a little more cynical, like you said, and a little darker because the 80s were ending and then we're shifting into the 90s and it's, you know, economics and then, you know, know, whatever. And and sidebar... You know, it seems like everyone nowadays looks at the 90s with rose-tinted color glasses. Mm-hmm. I know I do, at least. Um, but no one looks that way towards the 80s. Unless, of course, we're me and you and we're talking about film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you're my mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever heard either of my parents talk about the... I mean, they don't talk in terms of decade. Right. right. Um, they don't categorize their life that way. Um, and I guess neither do I, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, and you could also argue mm-hmm. that, um, we could argue cold war. Oh, definitely. Ending mm-hmm. in the 1980s could have had something to do with a lot of this. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, there are lots of variables, you know, and. Obviously, people have, you know, like CNN, have (laughs) tried to and successfully dove in at the deep end with 80s and, you know, the the times and the films and the television and the 
in the politics and the music and the blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And trying to make sense of all of it and trying to get it to all make sense in a cultural sense. You know, culture was here, therefore music was here. And culture was here, therefore economics was here. And culture mm-hmm. was here, and therefore mu- movies were here. And blah, blah, blah. Well, who cares? Yeah. All that to be said is that it's hard <laughs> to to determine, you know, unless it was a giant watershed moment like World War II, it's hard to say movies were like this because of this. Right. Right? Like monster movies of the 30s were there because of the Depression. Right? That's easy. Right. Because it was the Depression. Right? Yeah. I'm sure people down the line will start to study um, films from 2008 to, like, 2013, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was during our giant economic collapse, Mm -hmm. right? Not in Midland, of course. We are under a different economic structure with the oil field and blah, blah, blah. But other places, (laughs) right? And so I'm sure films indicated we were in some sort of a daster economic uh, situation, mm-hmm. right? I've never really thought about it, but I'm sure that's what happened, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, same with the 80s. I'm sure you could track cultural trends and and determine this is why movies were like that. We didn't have enough time to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I would, I, I would definitely agree. To all that. Um, So, to kind of... I have written nonsense all (laughs) over my notebook. (laughs) I know. I'm like watching... arrows and lines. I'm like watching you doodle. Um, Yeah. So, to to move on from this very, like, heavy dip this episode just took... um, Yeah, I think I did great. (laughs) uh, To kind of give it a nice little bit of closure with a bow on top... Favorite 80s movie that you could watch anytime, never gets old, what would that be? That's a good question. Would you like me to go? Because yeah. I already know. Okay. Yeah, of course. So I spent literally, since I told you that's what we should end this episode on, I racked my brain, dude. Really? You didn't just automatically know? No. Because there's so many good ones, man. Yeah, that's true. You know, I called like three, four different movies a perfect movie from the 80s. That's true. You did do that. Um, But I finally decided I landed on one that I could watch anytime. never gets old. It's so funny, so dramatic. And it's a movie I didn't talk about, and I really wanted to. But I decided to save it, so I'm not going to go super into it. Uh, But it's The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Absolutely love The Breakfast Club. Um, Great cast. Milu Estevez, Anthony Michael Hall, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, who I'm madly in love with. Like, she still looks great to this day. Yeah, but she's she's terrible. (laughs) She's a terrible part. (laughs) Oh, she is? Don't tell me that. Don't ruin ruin Molly Ringwald for me. I mean, and Judd Nelson, what a fox. Am I right, ladies? What's up? High five. I mean, uh, he's kind of fat now. I mean, now, but then. Do you, I, oh, then, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, do, do you remember his guest appearance on Psych? As, I do. like, the, the weird-ass doctor who kept wanting to, like, 
size Gus's head. I do, and I remember just being so depressed. <laughs> How fat he was. And just, I mean, oh, Judd. What well, did then, you do? You know, then he was in Boondock Saints 2. I barely remember that. Dude, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I, I love the first one. You know, oh, we could do a Boondock Saints. Sorry, we need to be writing this stuff down. Anyway. What, what's funny, what's funny, speaking of psych, is almost every Breakfast Clubber has guest starred in an episode of Psych, except for Emilio Estevez and Anthony Michael Hall, I believe. No, I think they finally got him. Yeah, I think it was just Emilio Estevez. And so I think as their reference for him is Sean's alter ego, Emilio Estevez Estevez. <laughs> I love Psych. Um, uh, but anyway, no. So, yeah, I love The Breakfast Club. I I remember the first time I ever saw it, I was having um, some really hard times in uh, junior high, I believe. Just getting bullied and, and feeling very much like an outsider and how... You know, definitely, you know, of us growing up in the 2000s, and of course it's gotten way worse since we've gotten out of high school of bullying, uh, you know, and feeling like being an outsider was a, a uh, um, you know, bad thing. My mom, this is going to really date this story, immediately like pulled over to the Hollywood video, <sighs> rented the Breakfast Club, and she's like, we're watching this tonight. Um... I remember sitting there watching it and fell in love with with the story, fell in love with the message, um, you know, that almost like John Hughes, you know, was basing this on one person, but kind of split the personalities mm-hmm. into, you know, this one person like split their personality into the, the, the five different characters in the movie and it's just it's so good man like it's again another perfect movies from the eight from the 80s but you know like the goonies i love the goonies but i have to be for sure i thought you were going to say goonies uh, i i was convinced <laughs> dude it was a tie it was a close one I'm but sure? I, but i realized it was because i have to be in a real specific mood to watch the Goonies, mm-hmm. same goes for Ghostbusters. Same goes for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I got to be real specific mood. Like I'm feeling lazy, Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. Um, but Breakfast Club, I can watch anytime, and I just, I just feel so much joy watching the movie. I laugh along to every single joke, even though I know it's coming. Like when Judd Nelson falls through the <laughs> the ceiling, <laughs> he's like, "Oh shit!" Like, yeah, he's telling the joke that doesn't have a punchline. Yeah, because. Which, did you know, apparently he, like, made that up? Yeah, like, he didn't have a punchline for it, so... so. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, like, what was it, like, a blonde lady walks into a bar with a poodle in one arm and a, like, 12-foot salami in the other. Yeah. And she sets the poodle on the bar, and the bartender says, and then that's when he falls to the ceiling, like, oh, shit! Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but then what kills so me is that he walks, because they're all, like, you know, you know, Emilio Estevez, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheeny, Sheedy, and... Uh, Anthony Michael Hall are like, oh shit. And he walks down like nothing happened and is like, forgot my pencil. Yeah. It just <laughs> cracks me up every time, man. So definitely The Breakfast Club, uh, my all time favorite 80s movie. That's a really, that's a really good choice. 
shout out to Criterion. They have a Criterion collection. Oh, of the Breakfast dude, Club. don't tell me that because I will fucking I will search for that movie. Oh, dude, it's at the uh, last time I looked, it was at Not Hastings. Um, <laughs> no one, everyone listening probably doesn't know what that reference is. Not Hastings. Yeah, we we don't have a Hastings anymore. Well, another, no one has a Hastings. Another anymore. company uses that space, and it's called Entertain Mart. And but it's they, pretty much it's Hastings 2.0. Yeah, pretty much. But I just call it Not Hastings. I, I don't know if I, I'm pretty sure I've called it that to a staff member there. <laughs> Hang on, I'm still looking. Uh, Jesus Christ! Well, no, it won't take me that long. <laughs> well, I will. I will keep uh, Joel well, Schumacher well, entertained. I mean, it's like, uh, okay, is is it like? Because I get what you're saying about being in a in a in a mood to watch something, and that's how I am with almost everything. I, um, I mean, that's how I've been lately. Like, I just can't decide on anything to watch. No, I. It sometimes takes me like thirty minutes to figure out what I want to watch. But nine times out of ten, I know where I'm going with it. Um, but like, like the point with the Breakfast Club is, I could be in any mood and want to watch it. Yeah. Okay. I apologize um, if people can hear scratching. There's things on my computer. Um, I'm gonna go with. A movie we didn't talk about either. <laughs> well, that's good. No, I mean, it's such bullshit because people had to listen to us talk about these <laughs> these movies for three episodes and then us not even pick it as our favorite of the 80s. It's rude. Oh, anyway, man. I'm going to do it anyway. So I would say my favorite movie of the 80s is also a comedy. Okay. And it's The Princess Bride. Ah. Yeah. Now... Yeah. Now don't go into too detail because I know because we we want to do an episode. We're going to save it. I didn't want to mention it. You know. So um, so for everyone listening, me and Jeremy will do a whole episode on this movie. So he's not going to get into too much detail. I won't even talk about it anymore. I just love the I just love (laughs) breakfast. I do love the breakfast, but I just love the Princess Bride. Um, Um, I won't lie. Um, So so since I've always apparently mispronounced his last name, how do you pronounce his name, Carrie? Elways. Elways. Okay. So when I heard that he was going to be on season three of Stranger Things, I was so hoping that they would give him a line where he has to say, as you wish, mm-hmm. um, because he plays the town mayor. Oh. And I was like, oh, please, like, let him say, as you wish. It never happens. <laughs> but it was still great seeing him, you know. But anyway. He probably yeah. had those same uh, Sean Aston roles where like, he's please, like, like, absolutely no Goonies. He's probably like, absolutely no Brent's Sprite. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Although I've heard he doesn't mind talking about it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't either. I mean, shit, the movie's awesome. That movie is awesome. Rob Reiner, man. I think my favorite part of the movie is whenever Billy Crystal's there as <gasps> Miracle Max. Oh, yes. Yeah. He said and that's what I'm going to leave it as. I'm not, again, I don't want to get into detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was about to quote it. I'm glad you just cut yeah, me off. Yeah, because we, we're just going to talk all about it later. But that is my I would say an honorable mention for my absolute favorite would probably be I don't know the thing. So yeah, um, but yeah, those though that, that that's my pick. Well, uh, I think that's a good segue to in the episode. Uh, like we mentioned last week, this episode was going to be a little short. Uh, I would say probably the shortest episode we've ever done ever ever. Wow. Um, not counting the. <laughs> 14 minutes of bullshit that we were doing. Um, yeah, we're only at probably an hour mark with this episode. An hour? An hour. Wow, we did really good. Um, um, okay, so let's talk. Let's tease. Yes. Let's, let's go a little past an hour and let's tease next week. 
uh, I'm very excited because now it's my turn. Yes. Right? Um, so like we mentioned, uh, since Jeremy had – I made Jeremy suffer through this uh, 80s month, uh, he is going to be picking the next few episodes. And I'm kicking off next week with uh, Tom Ford's follow-up uh, to a single man with nocturnal animals. I am very excited now, about nocturnal animals. This movie is also based on a book, right? Yes, Tony and Susan. And okay. I'm listening to it right now um, on audio. Is it? Is it? Did different. Tom Ford do a pretty good? Uh it's it's yes. I mean, I'm sure. Obviously, there, there had to be some things he had to change. Yeah, and it's just it's different in just weird ways. It's different in the way um, Edward and Susan look and what they do for a living. Oh, okay. So I'm um, assuming that's Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal's yeah, character. It's it's what they do for a living and how they look is really different. And even the characters in the book she's reading, uh, Tony looks different. Um, but the situations are the same. I mean, every, the narrative's still the same. Um, it's just they're not as glamorous uh, uh, as what we see in the as movie. As what we see in the movie, yeah. Okay. But um, I think decent changes so far on Tom Ford's part. And of course he's a genius Yeah, uh, for yeah. only making two movies. Didn't go to film school. Yeah. And if anyone didn't know, uh, he makes suits for a living, very high end. He's the reason Gucci is a brand today. He got them out of bankruptcy. Really? Yeah. And, uh, without him, we wouldn't have Gucci. I mean, I don't own or know Neither anything about Gucci, but, um, uh, yeah, he's a fashion mogul. That's what he that's what he does for a living. And to his words, to um, get out his creative uh, his creative energy, he decided to make movies. And so he has made two so far. One was a single man. I think it was in 08. And then Nocturnal Animals. You know, um, a while back I looked into <laughs> what it would cost to own a Tom Ford suit because they are – very nice. Yeah. I mean, Justin Timberlake, um, during the promotion of uh, the 2020 experience, part one and part two, mm-hmm. had like, I think like two or three custom made suits from Tom Ford. And they're in on Jay-Z's album, uh, Magna Carta, Holy Grail, Tom, Tom Ford. Ford. Yeah. Uh, and so I looked into the possibility of like, oh, you know, I bet it's, you know, maybe I could get a sports coat. <sighs> no. <laughs> Those suits are Incredibly expensive. Yeah. I think I'd have to sell a kidney yeah. just to get one. You only need one. <laughs> um, one final announcement, guys, before we call this the end of the episode. So as many of you saw, we changed the uh, the name to Reservations with Rain and Jeremy because Jeremy is a now co-host. Um, but we came together uh, off mic and decided that after this episode – this is going to be the conclusion of season one, meaning that this has just kind of been the, you know, the, the, the I would say really the intro into what is how we're going to change everything for, I guess, season two, which nothing's changing drastically. We are going to still keep with the idea of having a guest on mm-hmm. ever so often, but it's still going to be me and Jeremy talking about movies, doing deep cuts and, uh, so next week with Nocturnal Animals, it's going to be the start of season two. Yeah. With reservations uh, with Rain and Jeremy. Woo! So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the final episode of 80s Month and the final episode of season one. And we look forward to getting you guys uh, listening next week to season two. Sometimes I feel like-